G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. This podcast is made available by Vision Christian Media, thanks to the generosity of our supporters. Your donation today means great podcasts like this remain available to help people look to God daily. Please make your donation today at vision.org.au. Today with Jeff Vines, author, pastor, apologist and Bible teacher with a straight-talking message from the Word. What if I achieve the goal that I've been working for all my life and realize I'm still discontented, frustrated and dissatisfied? Today with Jeff Vines. Hi and welcome to Today with Jeff Vines. Thanks for joining me. In this episode, Pastor Jeff continues looking at a remarkable encounter with Jesus. In Mark chapter 2, Jesus forgives and heals a paralysed man. And we'll hear what else we can apply to our lives today from this story. And we'll look at how Jesus brings deep healing. Let's get straight into it with Pastor Jeff now on Today with Jeff Vines. For the last 20 years in the area of apologetics, and apologetics just means defense of the gospel, we've had to face the issue of pain. And our answer has always been that pain does more to turn people's attention toward God because it helps you realize how fragile you are. I mean, I'm 47, I'm beyond halfway to death again, so you start to realize your own mortality, don't you, as you get older, and that you are going to die one day, and the death ratio never changes, one per person. And so... Here we know and understand how life is. And God allows sometimes difficulties to occur so that we may see the fragility of life, the temporariness of this world, so we may turn our attention to eternal things. But now things are changing. The articles being written on this whole issue are different now. They don't deal with pain, they deal with pleasure. Now one of the primary ways God can turn you toward himself is to let you feel the emptiness of that one thing you thought if you got, it would fulfill you and you'd never need another thing. it's not like history is void of examples. Whitney Houston. Now, I don't want to make any judgments about Whitney Houston because I don't believe half of what I read in the media, so I'm going to just stick with what I do know. One of the most talented singers ever. I mean, I remember back in the 80s. Some of you young people don't even know that existed, but there was a time called the 80s when music was real music, I just might add. In fact, some of us still listen to 80s music. Whitney Houston was amazing, man. The things she could do with her voice. And look at her. I mean, she was beautiful, respected, admired by men and women. She had truckloads of wealth. I mean, she had everything we think if you have, it's all good. Attractive, beauty, money, stuff, mansions in five or six different countries. She had everything. 
Yet there's something that was happening in her. She could not find contentment. And she kept looking for it in all kinds of places. And finally, she ran out of options. And who knows what happened in the last days or last moments. But what we do know, we can know that something was wrong with Whitney. She just wasn't happy. And she was looking for some sense of contentment, satisfaction. You know, you don't have to go just to today's Hollywood stars. You can go back to one of the first Hollywood stars, not Hollywood, but one of the first worldwide phenomenons, a guy called Guillaume Maupassant. Guillaume Maupassant was kind of the first worldwide star. He was a writer of short stories. He had a yacht in the Mediterranean, a house on the Norman coast, a luxurious flat in Paris. Critics praised him, men admired him, and women worshiped him. And yet at the height of this guy's fame on New Year's Day in 1892, he tried to cut his own throat with a knife he's put into an insane asylum on the Riviera. After 18 months of physical debilitation and gibbering insanity, he finally died. He was 42 years old, 42. And here's what he said. He had written his own epitaph where he said, I have coveted everything, taken pleasure in nothing. The one thing he thought would be that thing left him just as empty, frustrated, and discontented. There are others that seem to get closer to it. Like my favorite movie, one of my favorite movies, Chariots of Fire, going back to Eric Little, the guy who decided he would not run on Sunday because that was the Lord's day. And many people believed he would not get the gold medal because his strength, his race would be operating on Sunday. He still wins a gold medal in another race that he hadn't really trained for. But the real interesting character in Chariots of Fire to me is Harold Abrams. Because he makes an astounding statement to Eric Little in the locker room. He says, I am not afraid of losing. I'm afraid of winning. I have but 10 seconds to prove my significance and even then I'm not sure I will. Do you hear what he's saying? What if I achieve the goal that I've been working for all my life and realize I'm still discontented, frustrated, and dissatisfied? The real Jesus tells you and me this, that the temptation of every single person is to build his or her identity on something that is temporary at best and your soul knows it. Think about it. When most of us first come to church, and it's okay because we're all on a journey, but when we first come to church, come to Christ, come to God, we come because we hope that God will help us get our idols. You've heard me say that a few times. Has it resonated yet? In other words, there's these things over here that we really worship, promotion, finances, another house, get the girl, get the guy. There are things over here we really want. So when we first come to church, we're hoping that God will help us get what we really want. That's ironic. We're asking God to help us get our idols, our little saviors, the things that are going to save us from discontent. But Jesus wants to do something entirely different. And I want you to follow me here. This is kind of a difficult metaphor. C.S. Lewis writes in The Great Divorce about a man going up toward heaven. And he's kind of a shadow of a man. He can t tell by the outline that he's a real man, but he's not a complete man. He's walking up and he has a red lizard on his right shoulder. Now the red lizard stands for all of his desires and passions, not necessarily lusts, legitimate desires and passions, things that he's putting his hope in to give him his security and his purpose and his meaning and his happiness that he's looking for in his life. So he moves on up and he's getting closer, but then he realizes there's no way he's going to be able to get in with this guy. So he turns to leave and he's met by an angel and the angel says, are you going home so soon? And he says, yes, I've just begun to realize that I can't bring this guy in. And I thought he would keep quiet, but he just won't shut up. And the angel says, do you want me to kill it? And he says, oh, no, no. I don't think we need to do anything that drastic. I mean, you don't need to kill it. Yes, we need to kill it. If you're ever going to be complete, you need to kill it. 
Well, maybe not now, maybe, maybe next month. No, all time is present. If you want me to kill it, I can kill it right now. But no, that might hurt. And he starts to move, does the angel, toward the man to squeeze the lizard and the fire of the angel burns the man and he just shrieks in pain and says, no, no, it'll kill me. And the angel says, no, it won't kill you. He said, but you're hurting me now. I didn't say it wouldn't hurt. I just said it wouldn't kill you. <laughs> he says, well, if you wanted to do it, why didn't you just sneak up behind me when I didn't see you and kill it immediately? Because I can't do it without your permission. Got to have your permission. Can I kill it? And finally the guy says, well, okay, then go ahead, kill it. And he takes the lizard, throws it down on the ground. The man becomes whole and complete and the lizard turns into a beautiful stallion on which the man rides away. What is the application? C.S. Lewis, when you allow Jesus to kill the passions that control you, he grants you new desires that sustain and fulfill you. See, there is a dying to self. Jesus knows that the desires and passions he can give you will create that contentment and satisfaction. But there has to come a point where you're willing to die to that old way and give everything else to Christ. In effect, Jesus wants to come inside and reconfigure your heart so that the main thing you desire is him. So that he gets you to the point where you lift up your hands and say, all I really want is Jesus. If I could just have Jesus, then I would be content and satisfied and never ask for another thing. Anybody in the room like that? Now, when I was first becoming interested in Christianity, when I was going through my journey, I got to tell you, when the pastor said something like this, I thought, what a bunch of mumbo spiritual jumbo. What does that mean to have Jesus? I mean, do you carry him around in your pocket? What does that mean? Have Jesus. Yeah, I want him to die for my sins and I'm forgiven. Great. I want to get on with my life now. What does it mean? Until you start to go through your life journey with Christ and you start to understand that Christ wants to be your closest friend, somebody that you commune with, somebody that guides and directs you, somebody that will love you unconditionally like no friend you've ever had. And in that relationship, little by little, he begins to break you down and you begin to discover what meaning, purpose, and significance really are. Jesus says, for whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will find it. Now, I look up. I know I've used this before, but it's just classic and it's I think it opens our eyes to, to the reality of what Jesus is saying. How many of you played peewee baseball? Remember peewee? Do you call it peewee in Southern California? What's the stage before Little League? What is it? Say it loud. Don't be shy. T-ball. Are you kidding me? Are you telling me that you Californians put a ball on a tee? See that right there? I'm just disappointed. Back in my day, when you were six years old, you played peewee baseball and you had a pitcher throwing the ball at you. You know how dangerous that is? <laughs> and you got eight balls before you walked. Here's my point. When you're playing peewee baseball and they put you in the outfield, it's because of why you're not any good. <laughs> because the balls never come to the outfield in peewee baseball. They never make it that far. So if you're in the outfield, I'm sorry to tell you this, but if you're in T-ball and you're in the outfield, you weren't any good. I probably scarred you for life. <laughs> So you had to come up with things to do while you're out there. I mean, you have to, you get bored, especially, especially if you're, you know, ADD, ADHD, you're not going to just stand there. That, that's not going to happen. So after you've, after you've killed all the blackbirds on the fence, yes, I know that's offensive to a lot of people, but this is back in the seventies when it was okay. And, uh, after you throw rocks at the bird, then I found a cool thing. If you stare at the sun for like, 
30 seconds without looking away. Now, children, do not do this at home. This is dumb. Back in the 70s, we did a lot of stupid stuff. And my mom told me not to do it, but that, that meant I was going to do it. You understand? So if you stare at the sun for 30 seconds, your eyes will hurt. But then when you close your eyes, it is the coolest little thing. There are all kinds of little colors and dots jumping around everywhere. It is so cool to see it. J -j -j jumping everywhere. It's the coolest thing, man. It really is. But it's frustrating because you can't really see them because they're jumping and they're beautiful. You know, they're there, peripheral vision, but you can't see them. And I figured out how to see them. Yes, I did. Look at the sun for 30 minutes, close your eyes. And when you close your eyes, don't try to, don't try, 30 seconds. <laughs> now I wonder why I can't see my Bible. <laughs> so as you're looking, as you're looking, don't try to focus on the dots. Focus at the background. And when you focus on the background, the little dots stop and they stabilize. It's a cool thing. And for, it is. Because you've got blue, red. It's amazing. And here's what I learned, and I've used this for a long time. Here's the application. If you spend all your time taking your happiness pulse and focusing on your energy, all your energy on what you think will make you happy, your life will become unstable. However, if you spend your time focusing on the bigger picture, trying to align your life with God's purposes and design, your little dots, your life will come into focus. You will find it by letting it go. You say, Pastor Jeff, I'm still a little lost. There's a grand weaver, folks. There's somebody been weaving the cords of your life from the day you were born. And the passions and desires that you have, here's the thing. Look at this triangle. It's not that getting married, getting a job promotion, asking for a raise, those are still good things. They're not ungodly things, and you're right to pray about them. But what Jesus wants to do is show you how everything in your life has eternal significance. Everything, your job, your relationship, your hobbies, they all can be used by God for his purpose, the grand design, the grand purpose. And you know then that you live your life for a purpose greater than yourself and it motivates you, man. It gets you out of bed in the morning because you know your life matters and it counts. Do you remember what uh, Eric Little said to Harold Abrams? He said, God has made me fast, rather to his sister Jenny. God has made me fast, and when I run, I feel his pleasure. So you can still feel the, ple the pleasure of God in doing the things you enjoy doing. It's not that you lose all your passions. They take on different form. They get eternal significance. And Jesus is also the only one that offers you any real security. Now, you've got to think about this. Like I said before, as I get older, as you get older, the, the, the impending doom of death comes. You have this feeling of your mortality when you get older. You know that you could, I mean, you know you could die. And only Jesus offers you a security to where you know that death is the door, the gateway to the life you've always wanted so that you can live with security here and not be afraid to know that this is not the end. I told you about my friend Virginia who lost her 13-year-old daughter to cancer. Now you think about what it would be like as a mother holding the hand of her daughter as she passes away, 13 years old. What hope does Virginia have really? Because right now she sees no use of going on, but what hope does she have? The only hope she has is to put her trust in somebody who's already been there and come back to tell the rest of us what it's like. Somebody who has been resurrected from the dead to show us that there is life beyond the grave and that she will see her daughter again. And that can sustain you in the short time of life here. I talked about Frida, the angel that I met last year, a lady that was diagnosed with cancer and Robin and I, my wife went to meet with her and I was just amazed as I sat across the table listening to her talk about how God is good 
And she was happy. She was content. She was trusting God completely. I mean, I think I'm just going to be confessing something to you. You've seen how I've reacted through my illness. I'll probably be a wreck, but everybody knows that we men are weaker. We have a low tolerance for pain than our wives. I know that I'm, I'm willing to confess that and I've made my peace with it. Have you? And so, so here she is. We go back to see her last week because now she's finished with the treatments and it's gone. And she said to my wife that never once did she pray that God would heal her. What? She said, yes, of course I want to see my daughters, my children grow older. Sure, I want to grow old with my husband, but I knew that whatever God was going to do, he had everything completely in his hands and I just wasn't stressed about it. That either way I'd be all right and either way my family would be all right because I would trust God with them. Now you talk about security and only Jesus can offer that. You see, all the things you're trying to get that contentment and satisfaction, it's not going to bring it. It's just not because your soul knows down deep inside you're going to die one day and it knows that anything you invest your life in here is only temporary and will all burn up one day. You know that. Now, I want you to notice what happens in the end of the passage, and I got to move quickly. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. Now, some of the teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus in his spirit knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. Now, let me, let me illustrate what Jesus is doing here. What would you do if Dane Johnson came up on the stage, punched me right in the nose, and I fell on the ground, knocked out and bleeding? Now, I just want to say something. It's not that funny. Who's laughing over here? And so Dane Johnson walks up, hits me in the nose, I'm bleeding. And then Dana Erickson, our executive pastor, walks up to Dane and says, Dane, I forgive you. Now, what's wrong with that picture? Hey, I'm the one that has to forgive, pal, not you. Jesus is simply saying this when he makes this comment in Mark 2. He is saying that ultimately all sins are against him. The only person that would be able to say that is someone who would be God, the creator and sustainer of all things. So the religious leaders, they now know that Jesus is not only claiming to be a miracle worker, he is also claiming to be the Lord of the universe. And so we go on immediately. Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven or to say, get up, take your mat and walk. But that you may know that the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. He got up, took his mat and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone. And they praised God saying, we have never seen anything like this before. Jesus says, which is easier, to forgive sins or to do a miraculous healing? What does he mean by the question? I think two things. Number one, he means Jesus is saying, if I have the power to forgive sins, then healing this guy should be no problem because the only one that has power to forgive sins is God. And if God can forgive sins, he can also heal somebody. So that you may believe the former, I'm willing to do the latter. So he heals the guy, picks up his mat and walks. But there is the second issue here. And it's the issue with which we close. Don't you think Jesus would have seen thousands of crucifixions living for 33 years in and around Jerusalem? How would you like to see hundreds, if not thousands of those, the most cruel form of capital punishment ever concocted? 
People bleed to death. They do slowly. It takes hours. They suffer from enormous pain, ridicule. They're mocked. They're spat upon, treated like the worst of criminals. How would you like to know that all your life as you're living in around Jerusalem, that one day that's going to be your end? One day that's going to be you on the cross. As early as Mark chapter two, the shadow of the cross falls over Jesus. He knows as soon as he says, son, your sins are forgiven. It is the beginning of the end for him. Now it's only a matter of time that the religious leaders will kill him. And they do. Jesus knows at this moment, he is going to die. And Keller finishes his chapter by saying, Jesus knows that to be our savior, he's going to have to die. And we will discover in the process of dealing with what we thought were our deepest wishes, Jesus has revealed an even deeper, truer one beneath. And it is for Jesus himself. Jesus is not going to play a rotten practical joke of giving you your deepest wish until he has shown you that it was for him all along. Now, have you tracked with me? Do you realize what I'm saying? That all these things that you're chasing, it's okay. It's okay to want a good job, want a family. It's okay to want these things as long as you understand that they're never going to give you what you think they're going to give you. As long as they never become your savior, if you just had them, then life will be content. You'll be happy. Everything will be fine and you'll never need God for another thing. Only Jesus can give you what it is that you're searching for and enhance the things you already have and give eternal significance to the things that you continue to pursue. That's Mark chapter two. Father, thank you for the power of your word, for your grace and for your love for us. I am thankful that uh, through the power and truth of your word, we can look at ourselves as looking in a mirror to discover our own motivations and what it is that we really want and what we expect out of life and the hopes and the dreams we have. Father, we thank you that you are the grand weaver, that you are weaving our lives and there is a path laid out before us. And if we will follow you and if you become the most important thing to us, then all the things we have take on eternal significance. That our contentment and our satisfaction and our inner peace and our thirst for meaning and significance and security, all given by you so that we can have peace no matter what's going on externally and our lives can glorify you. In Jesus' name we pray and are thankful. Amen. That's the end of Pastor Jeff's message, Deep Healing, and this story of the paralyzed man meeting Jesus. Hopefully there was something in there for you to apply to your life. Next time, we'll have another message like this in the Remarkable series. Here's a bit of what's to come. And I know what God's doing. Every time they go back out, He's gonna frustrate them again. Because He doesn't want you coming and treating Him like a genie. Oh, if I do the right things and good deeds, Jesus is gonna give me all I want. And then when your life is all good and happy, boom, you're out of here. Jesus says, you keep doing that and I'll just keep frustrating you until you realize what I want is a relationship of faith and trust, no matter what's going on. Worship from you, no matter what's happening in your life. And that's gonna require some faith.
with Jeff Vines. For more from Pastor Jeff, head to vision.org.au forward slash Jeff Vines. Today with Jeff Vines, just another way vision is connecting faith to your life. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.